Profiles in Teaching with Technology is a podcast series created by Music First, a company dedicated to providing world-class cloud-based tools, content, and classroom management platforms to music teachers around the world. Each episode features a K-12 music educator who uses technology to enhance their teaching in innovative ways. We'll discuss the what, why, and how of their technology integration and hopefully share some teaching strategies that you can use in your own classroom. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. There you'll be able to find out about all of our platforms, as well as sign up for a free 30-day trial. William Evans specializes in music technology applications, recording studio techniques, and choral music. At the University of Maryland, he teaches elements of music composition for non-majors in the Honors College, He is also the director of the Music Technology Lab there. Evans retired from Sherwood High School, where he served as choral director and music technology instructor. He has served as a guest conductor and choral clinician in Quebec, Pennsylvania, Delaware, Virginia, and Maryland. He has served as guest conductor of the Towson University Vocal Jazz Ensemble and as a guest lecturer in music technology at the Catholic University of America. His professional vocal experience includes performances in local opera and musical comedy companies, as well as concert performances. These companies include the Wolf Trap Opera, Cedar Lane Stage, Pennsylvania Opera Festival, Laurel Oratorio Society, and the Annapolis Chorale. Evans has received numerous honors and awards over the years, including the University of Maryland Outstanding Teachers Award from the Center for Teaching Excellence and Maryland State Computer Educator of the Year from the Maryland Instructional Computer Coordinators Association. Evans was awarded the 2010-2011 Wolf Trap Grant for Performing Arts for Montgomery County. It is my pleasure this week to welcome Bill Evans to the podcast. Um, Bill is not a K-12 music educator, but I've known Bill for a long time now. Uh, we're, we're fellow uh, fishing uh, uh, you know, fans. I love, I love seeing everything that you do. Uh, uh, but you're uh, at the higher education level, but you have such great experience and you've been using Music First products for so long uh, or for a while now, Bill. It's, it's just my pleasure to have you and, and welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Jim. It's my pleasure to be here. So um, I'd love for you, Bill, to kind of walk us through your career um, and tell us, uh, you, know, you know, where you started out uh, going to, you know, things like undergrad and, and then how you ended up at UMD College Park today. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting path for sure. Uh, in high school, I was that person in the early 70s who didn't have any clue as to what I was going to do. So I applied to universities and my music teacher in high school was very influential in my life and said, you know, you can sing, so you could go to this school and that school. And so I applied for music and for electrical engineering, and music won out. So I ended up at Clarion State College and uh, got a music ed degree. And from there, I went to Peabody Conservatory because I started as a rock and roll musician (laughs) playing guitar and bass and singing in high school. And... uh, played classical guitar along, but as you know, back then, there weren't very many classical guitar uh, programs, so voice was it, and I had fantastic uh, professors at Clarion and mentors, and I went into, I got my master's degree at Peabody, and continued to do the opera thing for a while, and uh, managed to, uh, 
while I was there at Peabody, somebody said, oh, you play guitar, but you're not in the guitar program, but you also have a music ed degree, and Baltimore City Schools need a guitar teacher. <laughs> oh, wow. There you go. <laughs> like three weeks into the semester, uh, fall of 1977. And uh, so I started, uh, I took the job because it was the, the, the huge salary of $9,000 for the year. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that dates me definitely. And uh, so I took the job and... Um, and it was, you know, it was great. And my wife and I, we had enough money so we could buy a Yamaha Upright, which was kind of fun. And because she wouldn't have to, she's a pianist, and uh, wouldn't have to go to the practice rooms and fight for a piano. Right. So at, that was, you know, quite quite the thing. You'd have to get up at 4 a.m. to sign up for a practice room each day. And, oh, and so anyway, so that was the start of that. So I did two years of teaching in Baltimore City while getting my master's degree in voice and while singing with local and regional uh, opera companies. So so I hadn't touched the guitar. I still had my classical guitar with me at all times and tried to hang out with the cool guys and, uh, at Peabody who were guitar majors and studying classical guitar with Aaron Shear. Um, but uh, mo mostly I was in the opera program. So when we both graduated, we relocated to the DC area. And even though I'm in higher education now, I did teach public school for 37 years. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so I- In, I in Washington, DC? Yeah, it, not in DC, in, in, in uh, Montgomery County, Maryland, at uh, Sherwood okay. High School. So I taught 37 years at the same school. And so I had a lot of experience um, with choir, with voice. So I was a choir teacher and, uh, Enjoyed that quite a lot. And when I got there, the program was okay, but wasn't huge. So one of the ways that I could build the program, besides uh, playing basketball with the guys in the gym, because I was only 23 years old or 24 when right. I arrived, to get, more, get a men's course started, which happened. Um, I also had an interest in, I was teaching guitar and then technology. So we, I happened to have a couple of, great uh, mentors who've been teaching instrumental music in the area and turned me on to ARP synthesizers. So I managed to get my hands on two, an ARP 2600. And Very a, cool. And an ARP Odyssey and a tape recorder. I think it was an Akai reel-to-reel -reel tape recorder. And I approached the administration and started uh, what we called then electronic music class because it was actually a, a curriculum in Montgomery County for that. So it was a lot of using razor blades and splicing tape right. and um, using cassette decks. So it was uh, uh, kind of fun making sound collages and, uh, you know, playing music backwards and using turntables and so forth. So from that, that built on. And the unique thing about this school was when I had arrived, they had a variety show is what I will call it then. And, um, was called the it's called the Rock and Roll Revival. It's still going on. This would be the 50th year if they were able to put on a performance. So I did 37 of those shows, and it was a big fundraiser. And when I got there, it was mostly a kids' show, uh, meaning that the average age of the were uh, high school and middle school kids that would come to the shows, and we do six shows, and that grew into more of an adult show and ended up with an operating budget of about forty thousand wow. dollars or so, and then would would uh, gross 
well into the six figures. Um, and so that afforded me money to buy technology. So that's the hitch. So it was, um, it was a uh, three-month three rehearsal. So we do a musical in the fall and do that in the spring. And they're still doing that um, now. Now, you know, if I can just interrupt you for a minute, Bill, yeah. now it all is coming into focus because that's where I first met you was at Sherwood High School. Yeah. And and I remember Robin Hodson, who um, at the time that I first met you, I think Robin was still working for Sibelius and yeah. then maybe Soundtree. And that's how we kind of first met. And yeah. your rock, this 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 program that you're talking about, yeah. Yeah. Um, a guy on the opposite side of the country in Huntington Beach, Jamie Knight, was running the exact same kind of program. He did this big mm -hmm. rock production every single spring. And I once met him. I, I, Jamie's a great, great guy. If you've never met him, you, mm -hmm. you guys need to meet. Um, he's no longer teaching at Huntington Beach High School, but he did the same program. And he was like, oh, we're, this is really unique. I don't know of anything else like this. And I had just met you. Yeah. And I was like, wait a minute, there's this guy named Bill Evans that's doing the same exact thing. On the, yeah. you, you know, There are other people like you. Um, so yeah. anyway, I did, now it all came back into very vivid focus. Uh, so yeah, sorry to interrupt you. No, no, that's fine. Um, yes, so um, so the production grew and, and, and started with, there were like three or four people involved, uh, a director and, a, and what, myself in doing the music and uh, a technical person. And by the time I left, it had a paid staff of 14. Oh, my God. <laughs> four, four, four musical people, a lighting designer, you know, an audio engineer, and so on. And a lot of it were uh, people who had been in the show, former students, and would come back. And then we had a parent volunteers, probably in the neighborhood of 40 or 50 parent volunteers. So we had a cast of anywhere from, you know, like 180 to 250 students, and they, you know, would a band and and uh, they do all you know the parents would uh, get together costumes they have quite a a vintage costume closet nowadays and uh, so it was very exciting and it also made a lot of money we had the scholarship programs we set up for the pta for kids going to college we had music scholarships we had money to buy instruments for kids sending to summer camp so there were a lot of different things that have that we were able to do. And one of the things was in 1984, I built uh, my first recording studio at the high school. Wow. Yeah, so that was fun. And um, it was like vin um, classic Tascam uh, analog uh, mixer with a Tascam 38 multi-track and a Tascam 32 mix-down deck. Beautiful. And, uh, so... As I went along, I learned with my students, and I had some students that were, were very astute, and um, so I learned a great deal from them. Some went on and now have their own audio companies, and uh, some of them are quite large and do, do, do all around the United States, and uh, started in my program. But then I, w I still go to them for information to this day, because when we had the whole COVID thing, which we'll talk about a little later, I just started reaching out to people. I said, what do you do with this? How do you do that? You know, what's live yep. streaming? What is the sources? How, how do you go about it? Um, so um, that was very interesting. So I did that and um, kept going on with the show and teaching my classes. And um, the program started to grow. And we added our first music computer lab, which were the, uh, in 1984, they were the, uh, the Yamaha CX-5Ms. I don't know if you remember those. I do. 
music computers. They were hilarious wow. looking, but they were built like a tank. And um, actually, Washington Music Center, uh, at the time, uh, Robert Levin and Alan Levin donated 20 or 50, 50 of the units. So I sat wow. at Sherwood High School and some at some middle schools around. So we had the first, uh, we had piano class, sort of, but those awful uprights all happening at the same time and in different practice rooms was so difficult. So, um, so we got that set up. And then that's kind of set the, the bar for music technology in uh, Montgomery County Public Schools. And then people were asking me, how did you do this? And eventually, I think uh, MENC at the time started putting in uh, requirements for new buildings uh, to have this type of a facility. Right. So, um, yeah, so I did that. And um, then we were, our building was ancient history. Um, so we moved out of the building for two years into a holding school while they demolished 60% of the building and built some additional. And in the new building, we had a, a dead, we, by the way, the first time my first recording studio, we took over a custodial uh, break room. And that was my, it was like 22 by 11 feet. Oh my goodness. And that, and we, uh, we, we did the um, soundproofing the whole bit. We did it all. And it was, we knocked a hole in the concrete block wall from my coral room into it so we could go in and out from that way too. So it was probably not up to code a hundred percent, but we were in there and we did, I did all the construction work myself. So with, with a, with a friend and a neighbor. So oh, that right. was uh, pretty awesome. And uh, so then on the new building, we could get the real deal. So we put a recording studio and a keyboard lab. Keyboard lab was on the instrumental side and still to this day, as well as the recording studio was part of the choral room and uh, had soundproofing and so forth. So that was a lot of fun. So that program is still going on. And I retired from there in 2016. Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And the funny thing was I started teaching it universities a course here and a course there about 1995 first i was at catholic university and i was teaching to music ed students technology and then from there um the um the sister would ask me you know if i if she could send student teachers so i started working with student teachers which was great and um several of them you know became teachers in montgomery county public schools in the area of schools so it was wonderful to, to see that that happen. And from there, then I also um, started uh, teaching uh, at University of Maryland in 2001 in the summertime. So that's where I started. And now we have a brand new building at College Park. Uh, brand new, I say it, in 2001, it was a brand new building. Right. And um, helped uh, my friends. I had two friends that were working there and one is still working there. and. Uh, helped him design the recording studio and the tech music technology lab. Uh, so um, that was how I started at University of Maryland. So I continued to teach off and on, um, mostly on one, at least one class a year or one a semester while I was teaching at Sherwood, which was kind of tricky, but managed to do it at 3.30 in the afternoon or four. Yep. And um, so uh, the year, two years before I retired, I started teaching um, two classes a semester. And I was at the whole time in about 2010 or so, I started managing the lab and I had two graduate assistants that I would also supervise. So that's how that all morphed into uh, 
the job that I have now, yeah. which um, is pretty much full time. <laughs> All right. So before before yeah. we get to that gig, I just yeah. a couple of things I, I wanted to make sure everyone hears and listens and learns from is that you created all of that, that, that rock kind of program, your lab, your recording studio, you did it right. You had the, uh, and I love hearing these types of stories because you, you literally created it out of nothing. Um, It was your idea. You built it and then it, you know, you built it and it it grew and it grew and it grew. So whenever anybody, um, you know, has any type of defeatist attitude or anything like, oh, I could never do that. That's just phony. You know, you kind of had something you wanted to do. You had this vision, you know, to hear that you were there with a friend constructing the recording studio yourself with lumber and nails and all that kind of (laughs) stuff. I just want everyone to hear that and and that. If you kind of, it's, I know it's super corny, but if you build it, they will come kind of from field of dreams. Oh. You know, it, it's true. If, if you have an idea, if you have passion, if you say, I want to build like a fantastic technology program, I want to wor- build the world's biggest mariachi ensemble. It doesn't matter what it is. If you have this idea, you can do it. So it's, it's really great to hear that, Bill. Yes. And the thing is, it also, so we started with like a teacher and a half. Uh, in, in 1979 mm-hmm. and by the time we were going to the holding school in the in the late 80s we were able to hire we had two full-time music teachers were able to hire a third teacher part-time to teach piano then when we came back from the holding school to the high school when we had this cool recording stand piano we were able to hire that third teacher as a guitar and piano teacher so I taught uh, two courses of, uh, at this time, we still called it electronic music, as well as three choirs, and the band teacher had a full program uh, of uh, instrumental ensembles. Then, a few years later, maybe five or six years later, we added a fourth teacher. So this was, population was going up slightly. We started at 1,100 students in um, uh, 1979, 1980, and I, at our peak, I think we were up to about 2,600 wow. in the early 2000s. And I think now it's kind of leveled off at like 1,600, 1,700 students again because they've built a lot of schools in the county. Um, it's a county-based system. So, yeah. Uh, But, yeah, it helped with the end, gave us so much more flexibility in what we could do. And not that there wasn't a, everybody worrying every year that we were going to have enough kids to sign up and the funding would be there. That's, that's a given when you're a music teacher. Right. You, you, you just have to get out there and hustle. Um, and I don't think it's really that different at the university level as I'm finding out these days. Uh, no, I'm right there with you. I, I, uh, yeah, lots to say on that, on that front. Um, yeah. So why don't, Bill, why don't you tell us about um, what the, the University of Maryland uh, music program is and what your role is there uh, now. I know, I know you've, you've, you've said a little bit, but now that you're there full time, what, what does that look like? Yeah, so University of Maryland is a, a traditional uh, conservatory type program. So at the University of Maryland, I'm basically, when I started years ago, I was, it was explained to me that my job was to support the theory and composition division when I first started. Mm-hmm. So that meant managing the uh, the lab and the lab hours for two GAs and also a small recording studio and made sure everything worked. And, you know, occasionally I've been writing grants to upgrade the equipment every so many years. Um, and um, so we don't have 
a major in music technology. So uh, all, the, all the degrees are pretty much um, the traditional degrees that you would look for, and we do have jazz studies, which um, is uh, relatively new in the history of the school, I think. Right. But um, we, uh, ha we're evenly divided. We have about 430 majors, and half are graduate students and half are undergraduate students. Um, it's, uh, it's a land-grant research institution. Big school, big school. Big school, yeah, the 30,000, 40,000, somewhere wow. in that ballpark. So, yeah, and, uh, and then there's an affiliated night school that's even more people. Um, so I teach, um, we, uh, we offer one music tech class a year, um, each semester, and then we offer, uh, which is sort of a catch-all, uh, does everything from applications to a little bit of digital audio and audio for video and a little bit about hardware, music technology hardware. And then I, about 2014, the director of the School of Music asked me to develop a course for honors, honors college students, non-majors. So that's when I came up with this idea um, of a course called Elements of Music Composition for Non-Majors, which I've been teaching since 2014. And uh, so I was still, if you're doing your math, I was still at Sherwood High School right. for a couple more years. So Ultimate was, side hustle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was writing a new course, and um, not, not to say anything about writing a course for high school. I did a lot of curriculum writing. But when you have to send your course to the dean and then to the, to the state for approval, I didn't realize it would take me a whole semester to write this course uh, outline. And, and uh, It's very on. different at the college level, for sure. I, yeah. I, I, I do the moonlighting thing as well at Teachers College. I've been there for 21 years. I know exactly what you're saying. And yeah. We're so, trying to get a new course uh, done now for this kind of like teaching remotely. And right. what um, the amount of hurdles I've had to jump over at this point. Yeah, it's, it's difficult. And um, so I had a lot of help, too, from people. And there were some wonderful people in the Honors College associate directors that would, you know, review my work and say what they're looking for here, because uh, I had no real experience in doing that. And um, so that was, they were all very helpful. So it happened. And I taught my first course and, uh, in two, fall of 2014 for that. And I'll get back to other things I do at, at Maryland. But... Um, and the funny thing was, I had this exuberant bunch of freshmen um, and extremely talented. So they're honors college, they're engineering majors, um, uh, math majors, science, uh, tip, typical uh, non-music major types. And right. so to get in the honors college, you have to be the top of the top uh, of the school in, in the university. So these kids really had me on my toes. Some of them, you know, I played all state, you know, trumpet for two years. I, you know, I played violin since I've been 14 years old, you know, and I'm great. And da, da, da. And it was so fun to say, OK, we're going to just do nothing but make music. So the course became extremely pos popular. And one young lady. And we, so we did a little recital at the end in a large classroom and uh, of their compositions and some played piano and some sang and what have you. And after the class, these three freshmen sort of cornered me. And I said, well, thank you. You know, university just, you know, it's not as up close and personal as teaching, being a high school or middle school teacher for sure, or elementary for that matter. Um, 
and I said, well, okay, it's been nice, you know, so long. <laughs> and I just figured it was over. And um, they were like, well, so what's next? I said, what's next? There is no next. This is all I offer. <laughs> they said, well, how about you offer a second level course? And I said, hmm, okay, let me talk to the powers to be. And I had, I got uh, the young lady, one young lady in particular, wrote some supporting letters to the, to the dean and saying that we would like to have another course like this. So I wrote a second level course, which I teach in the spring, and it has been very successful because these are students who want to continue to uh, learn more about composition and technology and how it all works. So, okay, so that being said, so I teach those two courses, and occasionally I teach the Music 463, but mostly what I do is train a graduate student to teach that course, and uh, that gives them experience in teaching. So mostly these are doctoral students, and you, you know their ages can be 23 to 45, yep. <laughs> depending yep. on you know who they are. Um, so that's that's a very exciting part, and so they're there usually for three years to get their doctorate degree, so uh, or DMA in composition, uh, or PhD in um, in music theory but mostly it's composition. So let me ask you, Bill, I, yeah. I, that, this kind of idea of a composition class for non-music majors, I've never heard of it, ever. I mean, do you know, mm -hmm. are there other universities offering this? It's completely unique from my, from my experience. I've never heard of it. Yeah, I don't know. I just came up with that. Um, I did do a bunch of research when I was writing the curriculum at other universities and looked at their technology classes. Um, the thing that I had to do was make it kind of uh, unique and proprietary just for that college because the rest of the university can't sign up for it. Only right, the right, right. College students. Um, so no, I hadn't thought about that really. Um, I'll bet I mean, you. I mean, I'm, maybe there are a couple of outliers, but I bet you that is an extremely unique thing. Yeah. Um, because I've heard of like music, you know, like mu general kind of overview music courses for non-majors, but I've never heard of something that specific right. where they're coming in and composing. That's, that's, ex and obviously every music teacher listening is not surprised at all that the kids who are in that honors college as math, science, engineering right. majors, they were all in all state. Their parents probably said, there's no way you're going to be a music major, go get an engineering degree but they are obviously very, very talented musicians. So that's not a shock at all, but hats yeah. off to you, man, for doing that. That is a very, very cool, I'm sure it's, it'll be successful and, and overflowing as long as you offer it. Yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been very successful and a, a lot of fun. So the funny thing is, is uh, two things I need to interject. So when I was writing the course, I had already been using Note Flight and Music First products at Sherwood High School in our lab. So we had a PC lab and probably Note Flight and, and um, Inside Music, I believe, was another That's right. Program. Yep. And we, I was using that to teach in my music technology class. So basically, obviously it wasn't as advanced as my university course, but I was uh, using uh, the same idea when I went from the high school because I say, okay, well, my high school class was project-based. So I would make them do some notation, although they hated it. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> and, you know, and then I'd show them how to export the MIDI files, you know, because the, by the, 
the middle of the 2000s or what have you or so it was easy to do and import it into I believe I was using uh, Mixcraft and maybe Soundation too and along with NoteFlight right. and Inside Music I'm trying to think of what else maybe Aurelia and uh, Musician too I'm not sure but all the in that package so that was all very exciting to me because all of a sudden the students could do things at home. So when I wrote the course at the university, I said, I need, I don't know what it was, a few hundred dollars, that's basically all it was, to buy note flight for everybody in my honors class and um, for both semesters. And they said, sure, we can do that. And I think I started with Soundation 2, and then I switched to Soundtrap a few years ago, yep. uh, just because it was more GarageBand-like to yep, me. Yep, absolutely. And, and uh, so those, those, the course was based on that. So even in 2014, I was ready to go online <laughs> totally, even though I was mixing things up because stu these students are, just like all students, are extremely busy. And I didn't want them to have to come in during our lab hours. We have the lab open about 20 hours a week during non-COVID times. And um, so the students, you know, could do a project if they didn't want to use finale or sibelius which are installed in the lab then they could use note flight and do their do a perfectly fine job on their assignments right so yeah so i i do that i manage the lab and two tas which is a lot of fun and then i handle classroom technology support which is a really fancy way to say say i'm the av guy for the music school yep i get it i totally get it <laughs> So classroom upgrades, um, you know, Professor Jones can't get his his iPad to connect to the LCD or the TV, yep. the monitor. Um, they're going, you know, oh, uh, this opera professor is going to be in Beijing, China and needs to sit in on this <laughs> doctoral defense of right. students, you know, can you make sure at that time that Skype works. I'm like, oh, okay, uh, for that person. So weird jobs. And I, you know, I've been good at doing weird jobs all of my teaching career. So I said, sure, I, I, whether I knew how to do it or not, I think uh, I would always say, yes, I can do it. And then I'd find a student, somebody in their 20s who knew how to do it. I love it. And I'd have them teach me. And I'm still doing that, you know, to this day, um, especially with so much is coming out. So that getting into what my job has evolved into, so things changed big time in March of 2020. Yep. Uh, uh, so the school of music director uh, was in trans. He, he went. He, that was current. He moved on. He was. He he had announced, I think weeks before this, that he was going to, uh, I believe, Rutgers to be the dean of arts and humanities or something. Okay. And so one of our professors who was an associate director became acting director. And so he started, well, I want to try to, you know, maintain our student base. I want to level the playing field, make sure everybody can do this remote stuff. So we started talking, uh, myself and two associate directors, the one that was going to be the director and uh, another person about what kind of technology we could use. And they said, they would talk to me and say, here's a task for you, Bill, find out what we can do. He said, I want to make sure every student has, maybe I could buy every student an iPad Pro 
and that would make it better for them. And I think to myself saying, well, I don't know about that. Right, right, and, right. And so we went through this whole thing. So I started to call my former students. I called a guy in Cincinnati who runs a recording company, does everything from when you go to a concert and you see the video screens that have the, the live performance going up on, on the screens of what's happening to uh, having a recording studio, to recording your high school group, um, to making DVDs, all different types of stuff. So I called Jeff and we talked for two hours and he, I just was typing, typing everything he had to say from streaming, uh, video to um, different types of applications and so forth and what he would do with schools and so forth. So I got information from him. I have some other students that were um, TAs and, and uh, with me at Maryland and now they're professors so I would write to them see what they and I would discuss with my other colleagues so I came up with the idea um, I used to another aside is I would take my choirs maybe my last 10 years to Europe every year and do uh, concerts mostly Italy and uh, do three or four performances and you know educational tours with diff the different companies and we do right. concerts and cathedrals and it was with my top group and it was just amazing stuff i do all acapella programs so we didn't have to deal with an organ a piano anything and so it was fun but i wanted to record these so in the first one flip cameras were just coming out <laughs> that's right and um also a company called zoom not yep. to be confused with what we're using here that's right so um I had uh, like a Zoom Q3. Uh, yep. And uh, I would take in the cathedral. And if I had a tripod or not, I just put it on a side altar, shoot the video and the audio at the same time because the audio quality was pretty good. This is all going to tie back in here in a second. So um, I continued to use those while at, at Sherwood High School. And then when I got to Maryland, I noticed that we didn't really have a whole lot of anything. And a student would come to me in the lab because we have a small loan library of microphones and things that can go out to students, recorders, uh, MIDI keyboards, audio interfaces, so, so forth. And I said, well, I'm gonna get a couple of these Zoom Q2Ns. So this was a couple years ago. And so I would give them to the trumpet player or the, the doctoral choral can candidate. I say, well, I can't come and videotape your Bach cantata, but you can just set this up, you know, one facing you and you can get decent audio. And all you have to do is point and shoot and, and, and go with it. And they're like, oh, cool. So, and the, the whole time it was, I didn't really uh, think about that these also act as a USB mic and also as a webcam. So it's good oh, that's right. for multiple uses. So after talking to people, I said, okay, I got back with the soon-to-be director, and he was all ready to write grants. The university had a very, um, very interesting and also approach to all of these needs, and um, they had teach, teaching innovation grants uh, to try and work around. So this was this summer. So we applied for one, and, and I came up with the solution of buying 500 <laughs> Q2N 4Ks and Note Flight Learn for 600 people because we'd have some non-majors taking some music classes. Right. And um, so that was one solution, and so we did it. But if you recall, since you're in the, in the music uh, merchandising business, sort of, 
um, nothing was going anywhere. That's Things right. <laughs> and if you wanted to get a webcam, you were very lucky to find one on Amazon. Uh, so I have a long relationship with this. Uh, I, call, I like to call it the largest uh, small music store in the world, Washington Music Center. They're great. They are yeah. so great. And so I, I called my friend of 40 years, Alan, uh, the owner, and I said, uh, so I need 500 Zoom Q2N recorders by fall semester. He laughed. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so then we called Sam, a I called Sam Ash. They had 40. They had no idea where they were going to get any more. Right. Um, so I, and Alan said, well, I'll call the, the CEO or, uh, and find out if there are, and he said, but I need to have a secured purchase order before I can even order those 500 of them. Because um, if we're talking, this was like $144,000. That's right. It's a huge order. Yeah. So, and you don't know what 500 mic stands look like until they show up on the truck <laughs> and you have to unload them. <laughs> the flat, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so anyway, um, I'll get it to that story in a bit. So it went through and school music put up half the money and the, and the, um, the Dean of Arts and Humanities put up the other half. And then we also put together that other big problem that was going on that I talked to a lot of my former students about was how are we going to create music remotely at the same time? Yep. And there were, there was a couple programs out there that weren't and really meant for that purpose so to speak, but they had come to light. And one was this Jam Kazam program, yep. which I'm sure you're familiar with. And it was mainly made for you to buy backing tracks and rehearse with your band. You know, maybe the bass player and the, and the, uh, and the, and the guitar player couldn't make it, but the singer and the drummer could, and you wanted to do uh, Soul Shine by uh, the Allman Brothers Band or something. And I'm dating myself there again. And you would, you know, just do music minus one kind of a thing and have two people playing along. So now all of a sudden we want to do chamber music with this. Um, so how do we do this? Well, in the back of my head was, I knew that the Q2N could act as a USB mic and a webcam. And so that could be helpful for that. And then also I said, well, the best probably um, amount of, of audio, best audio quality would be to have an audio interface and a separate USB mic. So we also ordered a bunch of that. Uh, we ordered, we have two graduate um, fellowship ensembles. Right. I think a wind group and a, and a string group. So we made sure that they and their professors each had a, um, a Focusrite um, Scarlet 2i2 and an AKG mic and cables and so forth. So again, it was more gear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, so, and also I had wonderful GAs to help me again, but my job was to organize, we had a, we have a wonderful uh, person in the, uh, the staff who also has a, 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 PH, um, a DMA and music ed, but he does all our databases. So he devised a system to communicate with students and a sign up system. So in August, so long to the short of it is, Alan called the guy, we got a PO, he guaranteed us 500 in August. So by August 14th, they showed up 
at the music store, and then uh, three trucks delivered the equipment because we had power supplies and cables and so forth. Right. Um, they all went along. And I had two TAs, uh, a staff member, and myself unload all this. Oh, gear. my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm still doing everything, you know, at, right. my, at my young age. Um, and so we moved stuff. We, it was a huge facility. So we have a loading dock. There's five huge performing spaces. Um, you know, the largest one seats like 1,200 people. They, wow. they're, you know, they're beautiful uh, performing uh, halls, uh, concert hall, uh, you know, sort of an opera house, uh, recital hall, and two black box theaters and a dance studio a theater. So we have all, all this amazing backstage space. So we have this huge room where the piano technician works, we're in all Steinway school, and rolled stuff into his workroom. We had this huge storage room where we put everything, locked it up, and went about contacting everybody, and we set up. I didn't want to do things, speaking of COVID, in the building. So we set up tents outside, and we had no more. I forget what Adam did, the, the gentleman who put together the um, – the database. I think we played like 10 students show up at a time, uh, you know, in a half an hour, maybe less, and socially distanced. And we, over the course of two weeks, we got the majority of the equipment out. And um, so that way, and this was all right as classes were starting. And then two of the TAs were instructed, um, and I helped them to do online seminars for the students, you know, Zoom meetings and answer questions. So we did those training. And the fun part is in the background. So you work at a at a university, so you know it's sort of we got a, we have a few nice young <laughs> professors coming into the the realms, but it's an older group in in in, uh, in theory and comp. Yep. And so uh, I worked started working with them even before we had the gear because when we, it was time to get the note flight learn bundle, which also was included in this. So we have note flight and, and sound trap for everybody. I started training and having uh, two hour sessions with our music and theory and comp people. And not only did we deal just with these two programs, but we also dealt with other ways that they could work around technology needs. Some of them had never used the MIDI keyboard before. Um, you know, some of them wanted to have their iPad hooked up. Some of them wanted to use this and that. So it was a lot. So, but everybody stepped up and um, we got all the technology out. So now everybody's using it. And um, I find out what a challenge it is to keep uh, a bunch of students and faculty members uh, accounts operating. And if they forget their password, it all comes back to me. <laughs> So, so let me ask yeah. you, Bill, because we've only got, believe it or not, we only got about five more minutes left. Um, oh, okay. I, I would love to know um, what, I mean, are these kids, so they're all on campus? Is it hybrid? Is it completely virtual? I mean, how are, the, how are you managing that bit? Okay. Um, most courses are completely online. There is, uh, it was a hybrid. It started, I think, September 24th. They were online before. There are some ensembles rehearsing outside, smaller ensembles inside. And then we also have the Jam Kazam thing going on for ensembles too. Um, so, and the long and the short of it, we managed, to, different professors bought 
the Coral program would buy some uh, audio interfaces and mics. And then this, and so they started using Jam Kazam for the treble choir and other groups and so forth. Um, well, jazz ensemble has been the jazz professor has done a great job of uh, putting that all together. So then in a few weeks, uh, when we everybody goes home at Thanksgiving, uh, so um, that'll be it. We'll finish the semester online. Right. So we have had a few. The only recitals that have happened have been requirement for degree, um, and then those have been live streamed. That's another whole discussion. That sure is. <laughs> um, in these great halls. Um, but um, it's, it's been a bit of a challenge, and we have you know, very strict. It's sort of when you go in, there are, there's, I think there's 4,500 students in dormitories in single rooms. But University of Maryland is sort of an uh, urban area. So a lot of the students are going to school remotely, but they all live in an apartment somewhere nearby. Yep. Um, That's so, what my daughter's doing. She's, uh, she's, she's not living in the dorms because there are way more restrictions. So she's living in an apartment yeah. and attending completely virtual classes. Yes. Yeah, so that's it. And, and the word on the street is, um, I don't have anything in writing that we will be doing that all of the spring also in a similar manner to what, what we're doing. So, yeah. Not surprising. Yeah. So I would go down once a week or every other week and check on gear and make sure somebody needs something or fix this and that. And, uh, so that's what's going on with all of that. So, well, so fascinating. I just, I just got two last questions for you, Bill. Um, yeah. The first one is advice. And as somebody who's, if I counted right, you've been, you taught in the public school setting for 39 years, 37 yeah. in Sherwood, two in Baltimore. Mm -hmm. And then since then, this is your fourth or fifth year teaching full-time-ish mm -hmm. at uh, UMD College Park. Mm -hmm. What did, with all that experience, over 40 years of teaching experience, what advice would you give specifically about technology and music teachers, you know, based on all that? Well, I would, well, this is a perfect time to get started. If you sure is, <laughs> uh, I would start small. I'd use online apps. There are so many things out there. Um, there are so many model programs that you can use. Um, I would use technology in your performance-based classes. I have uh, a lot of people in my, my own family, my niece and her husband are also music teachers in this county. And they have been using um, the software for their performance classes. And now it was just a natural for them to continue on the online because the public schools here are, are totally online. Yep. And then branch out into a music tech or a composition class after you, you know, use it with your choir, your treble choir, what have you, your mixed choirs, your orchestra. Um, and... And now with in NoteFlight, for instance, you can have audio record without any other software right into the program. Yep. Um, I use it to make comments on students' uh, uh, compositions as well as using the other um, chat features and so forth. Um, and then it was actually my niece, who's a middle school teacher, saying to me, oh, well, you know that Soundtrap has, because um, we had a little summit out on the deck, we were comparing um, different types of webcams and document right. cameras. And she said, well, it has a, a video chat feature. I'm like, really? I didn't even know that. And yeah, that was very in August. Cool. You know, and so I, there are so many things out there, but I would definitely start small and use it in the courses that you have uh, currently and then offer a course, um, you know, in your rotation. So if you do keep, you know, right now, it's not real easy to hand out guitars if everybody's at home. 
So it might be just easier to get Soundtrap and say, okay, we're going to play a virtual guitar here. <laughs> yeah, and no, it's, it's, it, it's working for a lot of people. So yeah, yeah you, you kind of be resourceful. Yeah. So uh, my last question for you, Bill, is the magic wand question, which I've, I've asked everybody. And, and, and I love your experience, you know, starting in the 70s and, and hearing the ARP synth. I'm like, I'm getting all, I'm salivating. They're such beautiful yeah. machines. But magic wand time, if you could have music first, note flight, soundtrack, or just technology in general, do something that it can't currently do, uh, what would you have, what would you do? Specifically, it would be to add video to both programs, similar to the Apple uh, kind of garage band model, drop yeah. and drag. Um, but in the, in the big picture, and I think I've wanted to see this for years since I started back with the original uh, performer and, uh, and digital performer and so yes. forth to see a program that can handle first both uh, notation and digital audio workstation under the same shell and then also throw in the video editing, uh, not video editing, but the audio for video, where you can actually just see the video for a composer to compose to um, yep. that's an online program. So everybody has access to it. Um, we do use the Adobe uh, suite in the, in, while we're in the, in the lab itself, um, but I can't require every student to do that so uh, that would be it if we could get an application uh, it's a it's a very that. it's a very uh it would be very very useful especially now yeah it would be great yeah right. well bill it's been a real pleasure i'm sorry that we've we've kind of run out of time here but it's been a real pleasure to chat with you i wish you all the best at umd college park you you sound like you wear many hats there and everybody's saying you know here you are, uh, you know, officially retired from teaching, and now you're helping everybody try to sort out how to keep their programs going online. Uh, my, my hat's off to you, Bill. I, I, I hope that when I'm uh, retired and, and, I, and I, I can do something like that, you know, keep engaged and being in, in with the kids and, and in with music and technology. It's really a, a fabulous story. So thanks very much, Bill. Thank you so much, Jim. It's my pleasure. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to Profiles in Teaching with Technology from Music First. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. If you would like to stay up to date with other music teachers doing innovative things in their classrooms with technology, please subscribe to our podcast through whatever outlet you listen to podcasts on. Thanks for listening.